morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of the Retrospectors podcast, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Father. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. James, we have returned to the point-and-click adventure genre. Uh, I'm kind of, I was a little bit scared, a little bit worried. We've uh, done a couple of these games in the past, uh, the most notable being Siberia, and then not too long ago, we did Blade Runner. What has compelled you to come back to the point-and-click adventure genre, despite me crapping all over this genre every single time we do it? Uh, I'm very fond of these because I played a lot of them as a kid, and also we had a gigantic mountain of listener requests to get through, and this was a request from one of newer listeners, Amir, so uh, very happy to you know get through a bit of that. Um, I'm surprised that you managed to get through the title drop without like giggling like a schoolgirl, Halfway through, you know, the Fortnite, Patrick was talking to me and he referred to this game as Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Daddy, and we both laughed for like, you know, a couple of minutes at this. I, I was considering introducing it that way, but I'm like, no, I'm going to be a professional and put this behind us. But clearly you've decided to do the exact fucking opposite, James. So yes, <laughs> I did refer to this game as Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Daddy. And I did it also sounds think so much better that way. It sounds like a gay porno. And I mean, all well and good for those who enjoy those things. But I didn't think it would be the best way to introduce this game. Well, we haven't reviewed a gay porno before. So, uh, so here, here we, we go. go. Strap in, everyone. No, it's um, it's it's funny. Like point and click adventure games is something that, as I think has been well documented, I have a pretty rough relationship with. I love my modern puzzle games to pieces. Like I just recently finished the DLC for Case of the Golden Idol, which is a great game. It's kind of like a compartmentalized revisit of what uh, Obra Dinn does. Absolutely adore the game. I played that game for like three hours straight. I binged it. I was so entranced and involved with it. But these older puzzle games, uh, and I use puzzle in inverted commas, uh, just frustrate me to no end. And every time we revisit them and every time we someone recommends them, I uh, do it with a bit of hesitation. Um, I was listening to Retro Asylum. They recently had an episode on Blade Runner, and I was delighted to have someone else confirm that we weren't crazy, James, that that game yes. actually <laughs> isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I was... Playing that game, I felt like I was taking crazy pills with uh, with all the positive praise I'd heard from everywhere about it. Yeah, I mean, well, you ended up liking it, right? And I kind of can't deny that the game had a bit of atmosphere going for it, which I think uh, will be the case here as well. Um, but yeah, the, the trial and error kind of gameplay that, you know, is more error than anything hasn't super held up. I'm still convinced that there's a way to do this kind of game right. I just do not think uh, that code had been cracked for, you know, many years during the 90s and onwards. Yeah, and I do think that Gabriel Knight is a pretty good representation of what this genre is. And, you know, Monkey Island is the same. So I think that in some way, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Father, is is a trial case for how good these games are. So if the game's no good, all point-and-click adventure games are terrible. So I think that's a fair judgment to bring upon this. Game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for those who have never listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. What we do each and every fortnight is that we review and discuss classic games of the past. And what we do a little bit differently from many other shows is that we do it from a modern perspective. We're not here to understand these games in the context in which they are created. 
we're not here as a nostalgia cast to appreciate these games intrinsically and the history behind them and to praise the creators all of which are important things a lot of other shows do don't get me wrong our niche and our angle is to simply critique these games as if they had been released today alongside many of the other fantastic games that get released every other day um in some sense this is an unfair perspective to judge games by and we realize this but one of the things we've discovered over the over 100 episodes of doing the show is that sometimes old games do things not just as good as new games but they do things better and unfortunately we've also discovered that old games do often do things far worse so we view it as you know video games are art and we can evaluate them from a modern perspective just as you can evaluate any kind of art um if you enjoy what we do you can find all of our content on our website which is rspodcast.net it's got links to all of our social media stuff um, most important of which is our discord server where we do most of our interaction with our community and if you'd like to support the show more directly we have a buy me a coffee page which will be linked in the show notes so for this episode we are doing gabriel knight sins of the father and we're doing things a little differently because james and i actually played two different versions of the game i played the original point and click adventure game that was first released for ms dos way back in 1993 and james played the remake slash remaster that came out in 2014 for most modern platforms james i think it's probably worth going through the differences between these games because although they're where where these differences lie exactly on the line between remake and remaster is a little difficult to say yeah i think it um probably errs on the side of remaster although you know the visuals have obviously been redone completely from the ground up um and i after talking with you and watching through some of the old footage of you know older playthroughs of the original title I'm a bit of a bit of a crossroads here as to which version I would recommend. I think there is good and bad of both versions, um, and it kind of depends what your priorities are going to be, I think. So let's quickly go through some of the changes, and then we can discuss which ones do it better. So the aesthetic is radically different. The, the games basically look completely different, with the original being a 2D hand-drawn style. The modern one looks a lot more... I guess computer generated would you say that's fair james yeah it's a lot more detailed uh you can see things fairly clearly like the original was very you know pixelated pixel arty even um which obscured a lot of detail and i kind of gave you you know room for your imagination too right so yeah the thing about pixel art is that nowadays playing these games it's almost like impressionist paintings like you don't mm. necessarily need a lot of detail if a lot can be implied uh and personally, when it comes to the general aesthetic, I far prefer the 1993 version to the new one. Yeah, I would agree mostly. I think there are some specific rooms that look much better in the new version. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think the game's tone and like atmosphere is most like strongly preserved in the original. I think there's specific things that kind of are immersion breaking about the new one. Specifically, animations are weirdly smooth. Um, and feel a bit low budget even um, the talking heads is another i think this is probably the biggest downgrade whereas in the original game uh, there was a black screen with two animated heads talking to each other 
now you have two portraits like above the background and a lot of the mood is lost and also I think the the faces in these portraits are very bizarre and don't really match the tone of the game. I really do not like um, the main characters, you know, the way they've drawn his face in the new games. It makes him look a bit dopey, honestly. Mm. Um, although I think uh, he was a bit like that in-game too, but uh, it's it's a huge downgrade in that department. But... You know, there are some scenes which have a heap of extra detail in them, particularly all of the... Cutscenes. All of the cutscenes look massively improved, in my opinion. Um, and all of the rooms that are specifically relating to, you know, the voodoo culture and, you know, that kind of thing look way better and more detailed, and it feels like uh, does a much better job of capturing the kind of, like, you know, interesting detail that came along with it. Yeah, so I, I'm not super familiar with the look of the new one, but I'll tell you, after playing the old one, the new one really doesn't appeal to me, and maybe that's just my bias after playing the old one and getting yeah. used to it, but to me, it looks pretty terrible. So I, I'm not even disputing what you're saying. I do agree it's possible that the new one may look better in some aspects, but I'd say in terms of aesthetics, it's a clear win for the original game. And I would mostly agree with you, honestly. Uh, I would like lean towards you, but I could see some people preferring the new one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I don't think it's like a hard win for the old version of the game by any stretch. So, so the next change I wanted to talk about was the voice acting, because this is actually the primary reason I went for the original, is that the voice acting has... Uh, Tim Curry as Gabriel Knight, it's got Mark Hamill, it's got um, Alexander Dorn, a war from Star Trek, as he's otherwise known. And when I heard that those were the voice actors for this game, I was like, I'm in. That's all, all you needed to say. I, I have to say, how is the voice acting in the new game? Because the thing about this is, although obviously they're iconic voice actors, and I think that, you know, broadly speaking, they did a good job. I wasn't blown away by the voice acting no. performance. It wasn't like even something like uh, Vampire the Masquerade, where the voice acting was deeply compelling in and of itself. It was just pretty good voice acting. Um, Grace and the narrator were the best voices by far in the, the remaster. Grace is um, fantastic in the original as yes. well. I, I, I really liked Grace. That Her delivery is fantastic. Yeah, and I think the new voice actor managed to capture what you know the original was going for too mm -hmm. so it ends up being quite close i think the main character gabriel i don't think uh tim curry's portrayal of him was particularly consistent like when i was skipping through some scenes it felt like the accent would come and go like depending on the day of recording almost <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It just didn't seem very, it didn't seem like his best work for sure. Um, and I love, you know, his voice acting and always have. Um, I used Muppet to, Treasure Island, baby. Muppet Treasure <laughs> Island, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> his most famous performance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought the voice acting was fine in the remaster. It didn't blow me away, but it mostly did the job. I'm not convinced with gabriel's performance in either version but you know it worked and the um i would say the final category of changes are ui and gameplay related uh 
there are some additional puzzles in the new one um and the old game so the old one uh, has all these different verbs that you can use you know you can push or operate or so on and so forth whereas i think the new one does away with that or does some kind of radial wheel or something like that right Jen? uh when you click on an item there's a wheel with all of those but they're still there so you yeah can... so do all so, of those things so it's just a bit more awkward in the original with having to either uh cycle through them in order or selecting from a menu at the top rather than clicking the item first yeah and um the other big change is that in the original game there are a lot more locations opened up earlier for you as the player even if there is nothing significant to do there whereas the new game they gate the areas you can go to uh, a lot more to keep you in relevant puzzle areas yeah i don't think it you know gave me the answer by doing this there were definitely you know sometimes there would be locations that didn't have the answers in them mm -hmm. um but i thought that by cutting down you know the potential option it's it's a bit weird because it is a mystery game so you do gain a bit by having all of these extra locations available at once but in terms of gameplay and figuring out where to go you know we've said this before uh, this genre has a problem with, you know, figuring out with what item to use where, and this change just massively cuts down on that, especially early on in the game, which I was a big uh, bit grateful for, honestly. I yeah, think so it's overall, it takes away from the story maybe, but it, add, it, like, it saves you so much pain in gameplay that it's well worth it for me. Yeah, it, um, the original one, the what i would describe as the fundamental gameplay issue with point and click adventure games is exacerbated whereas it's somewhat mitigated with the new version so i think like from an interface slash gameplay perspective the new the new game is probably better but that doesn't like radically change the gameplay it just uh, makes it, it a little more gentle it doesn't end there too there's still a few more categories we have to go through for these differences sorry so the new game has a hint system in your journal um, that you can basically at any point like get a hint to wh what you need to do next. There are like three levels of hints for each action that you need to do each day. So the first hint will tell you what your goals are for the day if you haven't figured that out. And then that'll split up into the goals and then you can go one, two, three on each one in case you get stuck. I made a liberal use of this after like day four. Some of the the puzzles got a bit obtuse, honestly. Um, so it was kind of nice not having to, you know, reach for a walkthrough very often. They are kind of time limited. Like if you pick pick on one hint, you have to wait like a minute before you can do it again, just mm -hmm. to kind of like nudge you into giving it a go yourself which i thought was nice like it doesn't like lock you out of hints but it does like mean you're not you know just autopiloting through the hints by you know clicking through them the very fact that you can do that we'll be getting this into the gameplay section later but awareness of your goals is something that i did not really have in my playthrough <laughs> for at least the first half of the game so that's already a fairly dramatic gameplay change that i look forward to talking about later yeah and the final change is of course the music and sound other than the voice acting i think uh from what i've listened to in this specific category it is a massive upgrade of the original in basically every way um i think the music is far better and the sound effects are actually more atmospheric than the originals. Um, 
you know so it's a bit of a shame that the the visuals kind of dropped the ball in that department because uh you know especially the music is way more immersive i thought we'll, we'll get to it more later but i didn't really like the music in this game so i'm willing to concede that point to james so overall it seems in terms of aesthetics the original game is far better but the new yeah. game has some gameplay conveniences with the hint system and the changes to the ui i would say if you're a person who is wanting to play this game for the aesthetics and story more than anything else then you should just play the original game and suffer through the gameplay but if you're <laughs> after the uh overall more balanced experience the newer game is probably better all right so um we'll start with story and kind of like what the game's about then yeah let, let's introduce the game a lot because we've talked about some of the differences and tapped in it but i think it's worth summarizing this from a from a higher level so this is a point and click adventure game point and click adventure games have you moving your character from location to location interacting with characters and items in order to solve puzzles in order to progress the story. In the game, you take the role of Gabrielle Knight, a struggling novelist and bookshop owner, as he investigates the mysterious voodoo murders that are happening all over his hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana. And you're doing this on the pretense of writing a book. Uh, and at the beginning, that does seem to be Gabriel's primary interest. Um, and he's assisted greatly in these investigations by his old buddy, Detective Mosley, having someone in on the police force does give you a level of access to murders that you wouldn't normally have. So you travel between the different locations in the town, most of which are in the French Quarter, and uh, you have to solve these puzzles to progress. The game is split into 10 days, and as each day ends, new events will happen around the town that give new leads into the mystery and information surrounding the voodoo murders. As the story progresses, Gabriel finds himself increasingly entranced by voodoo and what seems to be going on, and he even seems to have a strange personal connection to the events unfolding in the city. So where do you want to start, James? Do you want to start talking about the gameplay or the story? Um, it's probably better to start with the story and then we can kind of talk about gameplay, which I don't think is going to be uh, a biggest surprise to anyone where we land on this one here. It's been a pretty similar story to the other point and clicks we've played. Um, so let's give a go with the story for this one. What did you think of it, Pat? Uh, I really liked the story of this game, and I think a big part of that is the structure of the story, um, which also has gameplay ramifications. But from a storytelling perspective, I loved the atmosphere and creepiness of this game and the way the narrative unfolds. So the thing about the story is that you start off knowing basically nothing about what's going on. Gabriel Knight is not a detective, he's a novelist. He's trying to get bits and pieces of information about voodoo here and there from anyone he can find. But everyone that he speaks to is surprisingly hush-hush about it. There's, there's this aura of mystery and danger surrounding voodoo. And as Gabriel Knight is struggling to learn more and more about it, we as the player, or at least I as the player, felt like I wanted to know more and more about it. And any time I got the hint or snippet of information about voodoo and by implication the voodoo murders, I was very engaged with learning that information. D did you feel the same way, James? Did this, did this narrative and atmosphere of danger speak to you? 
Um, I don't think I'm as high on it as you are, but I would say I mostly enjoyed it. Um, I think that the first three days, I think the mystery is kind of poorly dripped out to the player. Like, I had very little investment in it to begin with. Mm. It was only once the mid-game kind of rolled around and we were getting more information about these voodoo cults that I was starting to become more invested. I think Gabriel's stake in the matter is very non-existent for the first half of the game. It obviously kicks up massively as it goes forward, but we have nothing really other than these dreams that he's having to, you know, link him with what's going on. Um, and that is, you know, fairly slow to develop, which, you know, is fine, but... Um, I think they could have done a better job of building intrigue early on um, to make you want to, you know, actually find out, you know, as a player rather than just, you know, to progress the game. It, it's funny. I, I think that is true because there's a point where there's a mechanic, I guess, where you can ask your assistant to do research for you. And early on in the game, you ask your assistant to do research on a woman you met so that you can go and have sex with her. And that has nothing yeah. to do with anything. Yeah. It's just that is Gabriel Knight's, at that point in time, level of investment in the, in the story and world. But I guess for me, James, it kind of matched me as the player character. Like, why should I be invested in this Gabriel Knight isn't invested in it. So for me, it kind of worked on some level. And as Gabriel Knight became more, in, I guess, invested and interested in what was going on in the world, so did I. I don't know if that's the kind of feeling you want to elicit from your players. <laughs> A your lack of interest. Game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I do agree. Like, I was speaking to her saying, like, I don't even really know what the hell I'm doing. Like, yep. I know the voodoo, as a player, I know that the voodoo murders are the thing that Gabriel is going to get wrapped up in. But why is, he, because he doesn't care, it's disincentivizing me from solving the puzzles, I guess. Because yeah. I, I don't really know what, what the goal of each day is. But from a storytelling perspective, I guess, when you're often reading a novel, uh, you'll be there'll be a period of calm where you experience that character's everyday life yep. uh, before you get into the weird shit. And to me, this, this element of the storytelling did a good job setting him up as a person and setting up the world, even though I guess you, you are right, it doesn't really encourage the player to be invested in it as a video game and don't get me wrong i love when story and you know games do this thing where the first you know few hours of the game are just like you going about your life i think that sets up the investment a lot better than just being dumped into it but i do think that once like you need to hit this point where something crazy happens that like you know, this whirlwind goes through your life and really, you know, pulls you in. I think that that, that didn't really comes happen. very late, like day yes, six or something. day yeah. six or day seven. You don't really, you know, your life isn't turned upside down quick enough, I think. I think those first two days being kind of nothing is, like, very important and a good thing. But, like, that mid-game thing happened a bit too late, I think. Um, where it did kind of start grabbing me was this idea of the voodoo, you know, the murders and the culture kind of, you know, and the investigation, talking to people and trying to get, 
you know, this understanding of this this voodoo culture that exists in New Orleans. I thought that all that stuff was fantastic, and I really liked, you know, maybe this little window into a culture that you don't get to see too often in, you know, video games and media in general, at least, you know, from my point of view. Yeah, one of my favorite bits is when you go to the historical voodoo museum and you speak with Dr. John, and he just tells you the history of voodoo. Like yeah. it just it, it's just line after line after line and i was super interested in it like and i think there were some fantastic lines in there about how the voodoo you know how this woman was using voodoo like as a charlatan and gabriel knight kind of calls her out on it and dr john goes i think any black woman in that time period managing to raise to power any way she can is to be praised not judged i'm like well shit that actually is a pretty excellent point like uh it was an insight into i guess a, a culture of a people who were oppressed and who were trying to have a sense of identity and shared understanding in the face of you know incredible hardship i, I also liked the you know there was multiple sides to this right there was the people who were very invested in the culture you know in from a historical point of view and a heritage point of view there were people who were, you know, using it to get rid, like to make money, like the guy in the drugstore who was mm. uh, fleecing this older white lady who was very naive and, you know, buying, you know, cures and things that he was, you know, the whole store was set up as a curiosity store, except for this one woman who he was very happy to take the money from. And there was all kinds of different people who had different connections to the voodoo in their own different ways. And I thought... The way it integrated into the story was what really well done. Um, it was definitely like the best part of the story, in my opinion. Do you think that we perhaps didn't see more? We could have seen, I guess, seen more direct, sinister effects of voodoo earlier on in the story, because you, 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 you find out the voodoo in the story is basically part of a larger organized crime cartel. Oh, I guess I should say spoilers first. Spoilers. You find out later in the story that the voodoo is basically this massive organized crime cartel that is influencing and watching everything that happens in the city. But we don't really see the more sinister side of it poke its head until later on. Do you think if we'd seen that sinister side poke its head, do you think if we'd seen that sinister side show itself earlier that you would have gotten invested earlier, James? Is murder not sinister? <laughs> well, I guess directly to Gabriel, because you know, eventually yeah, someone breaks into the his real issue. Everyone, someone breaks into his shop and eventually has you know done some ritual on his shop floor, and that's and you know, there's a figure standing outside the window, looking in, not doing anything. They could have, I think, they could have maybe played up the angle as him as a writer more. Like mm -hmm. they could have had this character coming to foreclose on the store if they don't make some money soon because they're not making money mm. um, and Gabriel could be desperate to write a good book you know in order to make that money but there's no early driving force I think something like that was needed it didn't even need to be necessarily d uh, connected with the voodoo although you know I think it should be as it's the you know one of the strengths of the story um can i can i ask about halfway through the story we get um i guess we get clarity on gabriel and his heritage and his fate as a shadow hunter 
what did you think of this revelation? Do you think it fit the story, or did you think him being a fated person to defeat evil took away from the, I guess, more humble origin of being a bookshop owner? I hated it, basically. Um, I thought it felt very on the nose. Uh, Gabriel's character is not one I'm a huge fan of, to be honest. And mm -hmm. him just, like, having this thing fall into his lap felt a bit forced. And, you know, I think they could have done more interesting things with his character than just having him be, you know, from this bloodline of shadow hunters that he will now inherit the power of. It was very corny. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, James. I, I felt like it was more interesting when he was just a random guy uh, than when he was a fated person. And I've mentioned this before in... um, In fact, I've mentioned it before in our last episode in Arx Fatalis. You, when your main character is the chosen one or fated to defeat evil, like, I want to fall asleep. Like, do better. Write your stories in a more interesting way. Interestingly, when, when I was playing this game there's a tv series one of one of my favorites called true detective that is also set in louisiana and it also has this kind of cultish thing to it that's hovering around the edges of the more grounded detective story and i think that it does a far better job with its character cole and his connection to the mystical and the divine because he's never the chosen one but he sees and hears things that are strange that other people can't seem to see. And you never know if it's related to his drug addiction or if the things he's seeing are real. And having a mystical element in the game that isn't concretely explained with a society of shadow hunters, I think is better and more intriguing and speaks more to the power of voodoo than having a line of good guys whose job is to hunt down evil. I think it's fine to have him have a family connection to it, but have it be more along the lines of, like, his family is cursed by these mm. people, right? and he needs to break it. Yeah, Not... and it is there already, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you read that story from his uh, ancestor. And it links with the dreams. Yeah, and, it feels... and that's all you need. That's a great point. Yeah, it, it felt a bit like they went too far. It was too cheesy. Trying to set up the sequel. Yeah, maybe. Um, I Can we talk about Gabriel himself for a bit? Because mm -hmm. I found him a bit insufferable, to be honest. So Gabriel's character is one of, like, he's like a womanizing pig, right? Mm -hmm. um, but where I think a lot of shows would show this flawed character in, like, either there's there's usually two ways that they go about this kind of character right like he's a piece of shit but he's a funny piece of shit or he's a piece of shit that actually underneath has a heart of gold and you kind of are rooting for him anyway mm -hmm. um for me he really didn't land in either of these two camps like i didn't find him particularly funny and or virtuous so i was really struggling to find a reason to like root for this character or care for him in any way particularly like in his interactions with grace who is my favorite character is the you know that your assistant working at the bookstore and it makes absolutely zero sense to me why this character sticks around what it comes down to is that this game was released in 1993 and casual sexism as it's depicted in this game was just considered 
acceptable and something women had to put up with. So that's how they made the game because they're like, we want our main character be to be a womanizer. And these are the kinds of interactions that womanizers would have with women. And it was normalized and accepted. And obviously we haven't defeated sexism, but the casual way in which it's done in this game is, is a little confronting, honestly. Um, Half of it doesn't feel like it's being played as a joke. Well, it's being played as a joke, but it's never at Gabriel's expense is probably the where the problem lies he gets the woman of his dreams right like she's instantly yeah. in love with him and he's seducing and flirting with all kinds of women throughout the game and generally they're very receptive to it so it's almost like in some ways his womanizing is justified i will say james i i do think that you're probably being a bit hard on him when you're saying that he couldn't be redeemed though because while he is a piece of shit I think that the game does recognize that he is that way. And the whole point is that he has to go through this purification thing with the St. George dragon. And even if he isn't a very good person, he is putting his life on the line in order to confront evil. And in that sense, you could say that he's a good guy because he's taking these steps to, I guess, change himself to become I a better person to, I... you know, to pursue this fight against evil. I agree with that, but I think when you do this kind of redemption arc, you kind of really need to, there needs to be something early on that makes you, like, as the viewer, want this person to go through that, like, to go through that, and you to be hoping that it's going to happen by the end. Like, I just did not give a shit, basically. Perhaps, perhaps part of the problem is he never suffered, well, he didn't suffer through enough hardship. Maybe yeah. he needed to go through some suffering to turn into the person he should be. Instead, he just stepped up as the action hero with no real problems. Yes. Um, something that I think does work in the game's favor from a writing perspective is Grace. Like, you've said Grace is your favorite character. She's definitely my favorite character. I think that they actually avoid the damsel in distress trope with Grace pretty well. Like, Grace is constantly shown as competent and as a capable assistant to Gabriel. Until the end. Well, but even when, even then, because this is what I was going to say, she is kidnapped and Gabriel goes and rescues her, but the plan to fucking confront the big ba bad is for her to pretend to be unconscious as someone is holding a blade over her chest, and she has the courage to go through with this and be part of the plan she deftly dodges out of the way. She even has the sequence earlier on where she sneaks around, follows Gabriel, and pulls him out of the voodoo ritual to save his life. So I think that I, that was I think, I think the writing for Grace um, does a lot to avoid the stereotypes which you might expect given Gabriel's character. Basically, any time like I was slightly amused at the writing was because she said something snarky like <laughs> to him um which was every she... second line <laughs> yeah 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 which uh when he when she wasn't on screen you know i i didn't really i don't think there was much you know going for it honestly um I, like i did gotta say other than grace i really did not care for like most of the cast i think um, oh really you didn't yeah. like dr john dr john is the other character that was all right i didn't really care for mosley um and the other characters aren't particularly strong, I don't think, either. It's basically Grace and Dr. John. P part of this is down to, I think, how you interact with a lot of these characters. So 
when you, you you have two ways to talk to people the first is just to talk to them which maybe has three or four lines of dialogue it doesn't seem to do much the far more substantive part is interrogating them where you get to ask them questions mm. and the way this works is that over the course of the game you will get more and more and more and more topics of conversation as you learn more and more about voodoo essentially and the culture of of voodoo and everything surrounding it most of the time i would say 80 percent of those maybe 80 is too high 75 70 percent of those dialogue options the character that you're interacting with will give you a response like i don't know anything about that so a lot of the time when you're interacting with these characters even though it gives you this illusion that you have a deep dialogue tree and ways of talking to this character most of the things are them not knowing anything about it and the other 15% is they'll give one or two lines with only a few dialogue options with those characters opening up something deeper. I have a suspicion about something right here. Um, mm. that, so I think potentially I read a lot less dialogue than you. Um, in the remaster, when you talk to people, uh, you'll have like 10 different dialogue options, right? Mm -hmm. um and then in my game the relevant ones were lit up yellow the ones that like the ones that progressed the plot so yeah I, I did that as well but i spoke to everyone about everything because right, I, okay. I thought it was still worth doing to gain information and i definitely didn't want to miss anything after playing through police noughts and in that game you have to examine and talk to everyone about every single thing twice at least yep. I was like, I am never making that mistake again. When I play these games, if it gives me an option to do dialogue, I'm going to exhaust every single dialogue option every single time. Yeah, okay. Well, the game just tells you which ones are important. So um, basically, I what, what I would generally do is I would click the ones about the voodoo to read more because I found it interesting. And then mm. I would click two more options. They would say, I don't know anything about that. And then I would get frustrated and not bother with the rest of them. So mm -hmm. potentially I missed out on a heap of character building because I did that. Um, so, you know, straight up, you probably heard more of the characters than I did and hence, you know, liked more of them than I did. But I, I still don't see it being a huge improvement. Well, the thing is, and I mean, I think this is essential to the broader plot is that the a lot of the characters are closed off because they're part of this voodoo cult right yeah and they don't want to give the game away so they're deliberately not saying much because they they don't want to tell you and while that does a lot to build intrigue and interest in the player for the voodoo it does take away from their characterization and this is something a problem i had with pathologic 2 as well in pathologic 2 which was particularly clear versus pathologic 1 the characters a lot of them will basically tell you to fuck off and they won't tell you anything more <laughs> yeah and it's it's annoying because you as a, a you want to know more so you get that thirst for more information but it does mean that the character is less interesting as a result and I feel that perfectly about Pathologic 2. I think Big Vlad and the Inquisitor in particular are far less interesting characters in the sequel because they're so closed off and won't tell you anything. So it works for the bigger plot, but yeah, I'm less interested and attached to the characters in this game 
because of it. And what a good game. We should play that again. Sure. <laughs> just just restart <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're a bit higher on the story than I am, honestly. I wasn't, mm-hmm. like, enamored with it. I had a good time, for sure, because of all the voodoo stuff. But uh, other than Grace, I found it very difficult to care about anyone. Uh, Dr. Johns, I guess, was pretty cool, too. There's also one little detail that I want to draw attention to that I thought was very cool. As part of the story, you go to uh, Africa to find the origins of voodoo, essentially. And there's a tomb, and it's of a particular design. It's a wheel within a wheel. James, did you notice that when you went to the um, to the voodoo temple that was in New Orleans, that it was exactly the same design? Yes, the characters even said as much. Oh, really? Okay, well... I thought I was smart for noticing, but maybe maybe maybe, they maybe, the, game, okay. maybe the game or, or or I'm an idiot and I skipped over the dialogue option. But I was like, ah, oh, it's exactly the same design. That's so cool. I'm so smart. I, I did like that though. Um, <laughs> I was less enamored with the puzzle in that first one that took forever. Um, and maybe Can't you count James. Uh, it wasn't the counting. It was the like six seconds per screen transition that I couldn't <laughs> deal with. Um, yeah. Bit a bit painful. Um, maybe it's time for a music break and we can jump into gameplay and maybe some more version differences because I just remembered that there were a few bugs that I wanted to complain and moan about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you mentioned this to me. I, uh, I, it sounds like you suffered a lot of bugs and technical issues more than I did. Yeah, it was less like crashes and that kind of thing, and more like the game hanging for like eight seconds and nothing (laughs) happening it was very delightful but anyway um let's go with your version of the original soundtrack what what one did you have for us so i went for the saint george's bookshop um overall i really did not like this soundtrack very much and i'm almost surprised to hear myself say that because lately i've been pretty high on video game soundtracks I think the problem is basically that it's a little too upbeat in most places and a little bit too too much. Uh, it's almost like the music is trying to set a particular tone and atmosphere that I think conflicts with the, I guess, horrible voodoo stuff that's lurking in the background. I think that the music would have been a lot more sinister in a lot of places and in its defense it it isn't it's not like every track is upbeat but enough of it is upbeat that i felt a bit of a disconnect from what i felt the game was trying to tell me with its story versus what it was doing with its soundtrack saint george's bookshop theme i think is my favorite because that is home that is safety for gabriel uh it's where he is before all of this stuff happens so that track should feel cozy but the number of tracks that i felt vibed similarly to this was out of whack so didn't love the music uh and honestly after listening to a couple of clips of the um of the remaster i broadly agree with james that the new music is probably better All right, this is St. George Bookstore.
right, now it's time to talk a bit about the gameplay finally. Um, let's start a bit with the general feeling of point-and-click adventures, Patrick. Did this game manage to change your opinion on the genre? So it, it didn't. However, I, I want to give credit where it's due. And I think that what I should do is, for those people who haven't listened to us talk about point-and-click adventure games, is to explain to me what the fundamental problem with the genre is and explain how Gabriel Knight doesn't solve that fundamental problem. But I do have some caveats. I think there are some things it does quite well. So the problem with point and click adventure games is not that the puzzles don't make sense because I would say one of the things that Gabriel Knight does pretty well for most of its puzzles is that they are logical and make sense. That's not the issue. The issue is not moon logic or not having moon logic. The problem is that when you don't know what to do, there is no clear path to figuring out what to do a lot of the time. A lot of the time when you play these games, what you end up doing is wandering around aimlessly. You wanted to hear, you wanted to hear, you wanted to hear, you wanted to hear, looking for anything that will progress the puzzle in the correct direction, anything. Have you missed a dialogue option? Have you misunderstood something? Is there an item that you should have picked up that you haven't picked up? Do you need to combine two items or open an item in your inventory to get another sub item? Um, whatever it is, it won't be clear to you what it is you need to do. And in this game, there might be 14 locations with 16 people to talk to, and you already have 13 items in your inventory any one of which might can be used to progress the plot if only you knew what it was you had to do to progress the plot and that is the heart of the problem when you're in that phase of i don't know what to do and there's no clear way to progress and it just leads to endless frustration good with that is, hint system <laughs> well there was for you james <laughs> what what I ended up doing is I went to UHS, the Universal Hint System, as a way to guide me through what it was I needed to do. And I think that there's no, well, there's no enjoyable way for me to play the game without access to a hint system. I just don't, don't think there is. Because while these puzzles may be solvable, given enough time and patience, I don't want to wander around for two literal hours thinking of every possible combination of items and verbs and conversations in order to progress the plot. James, does that seem like a fair summation of the problem with adventure games in general? Yeah, it does. Although I do think that Moon Logic does uh, play a bit of an issue in it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it is more to do with when Moon Logic does exist. There's no way to infer said mood logic like the characters. Like, I think when you have ridiculous... I don't think that it's a problem that there are ridiculous leaps in logic in the game. Actually, I think that the genre is better because you're doing these wacky things that are entertaining. I just think that the writers and the gameplay designers should really be aware that when they're trying to do something funny like this, the characters should basically tell you what to do. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I think that point-and-click adventures have value to the players when they are, A, visually engaging, like either the backgrounds and the art is beautiful or, like, really cool to look at. Um, you know, like when we played Siberia, I thought that was the case. 
Um, and then just having ridiculous character interaction or ridiculous item interaction is fine too. But in these cases, you really need to express, you know, what to do. And basically all of them fail to do this sufficiently, uh, in my experience. Um, yeah, and I think in some way, that, and everything I said about the structure of the game being divided into days um, makes the gameplay part of this even worse than your typical adventure game. You know how it's funny that when Gabriel, you know, requests research research on this girl because he wants to get with her, one of the major puzzles on day two is going in to see her. And the whole time you're like, but but why am I doing this? Like, what's the what's the gameplay drive between seeing this girl? And the answer is Gabriel wants to see this girl. It's hard to rationalize everything he's doing when you don't know how it connects to the broader plot. It does sound though, James, and maybe you can let me know, that this hint system that tells you what the goals are for each day would go a long way to addressing that. So did you find that just knowing what you had to accomplish each day did help with directing you to solve the puzzles? I found that helped a lot. The other thing I want to mention is that at the beginning of each day, you receive a newspaper also, and generally reading the newspaper will give you a hint as to where to start as we're all talking with grace so i usually found my issue was not knowing what to do with my day i usually because in my version of the game there were fewer places i could go i could generally figure out what i had to do normally when i got stuck it was because i knew what i had to do but couldn't figure out how to accomplish that goal mm -hmm. um for example in like day it must be day one or two uh, there is a murder near a lake, right? And there's some sand, and you can look in the sand, and in the sand there's this glowing little speck um, that the game obviously wants you to pick up. And I tried to figure out how to pick up that up out of the sand for so long uh, until I, you know, got to the very end. And I went through, like, hint one and hint two, and hint two was like, you need the spec. And I was like, bloody well know that. <laughs> um, but what happened was I hadn't found the tweezers yet, which were in the, the, in the, in the bookstore. Um, and I had to have the tweezers to pick up the sand, even though you could definitely do it with your fingers. So one, one for me was there's a point where you need to sneak into the police station past an officer and he's sitting at his desk. And the idea is that, what you're meant to do is you get a food thing outside his house, uh, so outside his house, outside the police station. And I thought the puzzle was simple. I was like, okay, I get this outside the station. He goes out, he gets the food. They'll give me a window to sneak in. But no, he goes out, gets the food, and immediately comes back in before you could do anything. And I was like, well, what, what's going on? And I could notice that he was nodding off to sleep. So I tried to get through, but I must have tried to get through the door at the wrong time. So I came to the conclusion that there was something else I needed to do to progress. You mean the guy at the front desk? Yeah, the front desk. Yeah. Oh, well. This I... may have been a puzzle that got changed. Well, um, I said, I'm here to see my friend, the, the police officer. And he said, mm -hmm. okay, go through. Uh, this is this is after Mosley leaves though. This is this is when I was trying to get into his office with his key after he disappears. Oh, didn't you go through the window on the outside? <laughs> no, there's no window on the outside uh, unless 
Yeah, there's no outside to any of the buildings, I don't believe. Was that when the cars parked out the front with the kids? There's no car parked out the front with the kids. This may be a change to the puzzle. Yeah, so there was a crowbar <laughs> yeah. on the floor and you could just no. open the window and get in. No, nothing right. like that, no. Okay, but, so but, puzzles but, are completely different. Yeah, so <laughs> the key thing with this, though, is that I've come to an incorrect conclusion. I thought he was dozing off to sleep and it turns out I just mistimed it. But because the game, because after playing this game, I've come to the conclusion that, oh, I can't get through because I tried to get through when I thought he was sleeping. Yeah. I left the area and I wandered around and I tried to figure out what to do until I gave in and looked up a walkthrough and it told me I was doing things right. I just executed it slightly wrong. That's insane. Like that, that is an insane way to design a game, but this is endemic to the genre. This is the kind Eric. of shit you have to put up with. The worst one for me was day one with the mime, um, having to lead the mime to the police officer. Like, I figured mm. out immediately that that's what I needed to do. Spent, like, a good 20 minutes trying to get the mime to follow me, and he just wouldn't. Mm. Um, looked up a walkthrough, you know, the guy on the walkthrough just walked up to the mime, and it followed him. So I restarted my game, and then it worked first try. <laughs> it was like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> um i had a bunch of bugs maybe that was the worst one for sure but there was weird stuff with like if you talk to somebody you can click to skip dialogue but mm. in the remaster if you skip dialogue what it'll do is it'll mute the dialogue hide the dialogue from the screen and then the portrait that's talking will continue talking until it finishes the animation and then it will go to the next line. So if you skip a line at the start of a like big paragraph, it, you may as well just be sitting there for the whole voice line anyway. Um, <laughs> it didn't speed things up at all. Also, sometimes you would interact with stuff, and then all of the controls on the screen would disappear for like eight seconds, and then you could start playing the game again, like it would oh, come back. Oh, that's interesting, because that happened to me a lot as well, but it was oh. kind of like it, like a shield would come up on the screen, which meant that you couldn't do anything. And I think that was in, an intentional part of the design of the game. Uh... Like, un, un, unless this isn't quite the same thing, because I would often go to a place, and it would almost be like a cutscene was playing. Like when uh, when the snake attacks you, there's a period of time where you can't actually do anything. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay. I mean, like, let's say you inspect a flower and it says, that's a flower. You do that mm -hmm. five times, and then on the sixth time, it says, that's a flower, and then the game hangs for 10 seconds. And no, then... okay, sure. All yeah. right. I thought that might be it. Because there are times where it's frustrating having the control taken away from you. No, 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 that's fine. When it plays these little cutscenes, yeah. yeah. Well, that's annoying as hell, just having to sit there. Yeah, I found a lot of the puzzles a bit obtuse, honestly. Um, uh, but it was never an issue because I had the, the hint system, basically. See, this is where maybe our experience differ because... I found, and this is this is where I would praise Gabriel Knight. I would say most of the puzzles here are fairly logical. It's a lot of showing the right item to the right person, um, and I guess asking the right dialogue. A lot of the time, you'll ask, you'll learn about something, and it's fairly logical to go back to another person to ask that person more about it for more information. Um, even the like most elaborate puzzle in the game which I did definitely look up a walkthrough for where you need to leave a message. 
I think mostly make made sense. And in hindsight, I could look back on it and say, okay, that 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 was somewhat reasonable. How did you figure out that the old lady was religious? Uh, well, she says it. She said, I mean, it's very obvious she's religious, right? Like the mo from the moment she walks in the door, she's she's uh she's a religious Catholic, right? Uh, was she? Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought she was a superstitious lady. I didn't think she was Catholic. Until well, if I you um, up a walkthrough, basically. Interesting. Yeah, I I think part of that was the fact that uh, I if you look at uh, uh what the lecturer was saying, he would often talk about how uh they would take elements of Catholicism. So maybe I was just thinking that they were all all mixed up together. But I think that right. on her, your introduction to her, she's she's a Catholic woman. But uh, are you asking me, did I figure out to wear the priest frock yeah, and everything? Yeah, I, I had no idea. I, I'm going to be honest, James. I didn't even know that that was a place in the cathedral. Like, yeah, there are, there are two too. places in the cathedral. There's the confession booth and the priest's wardrobe area. I did not know there were places I could go to until yep. I looked at a walkthrough that says go here. Yep, I had that issue too. Um, I actually thought the the puzzle to find her house was really cool and well mm -hmm. done, because um, you have to call like three different places to figure it out, and you only figure it out because you hear the dog barking on the phone. Yeah, that was that was actually really good. That was like a real puzzle, like in I, a point and click adventure. I really was enjoying the puzzle. Uh, like it's just a little puzzle, but the one where you have to go through the ritual and you have to do all the things. Yeah. Until I got to the bit where I had to wash the hands and I was looking for a bathroom. But no, the answer was to open the window and wash your hands with snow. And I was like, fuck this game. <laughs> why Why <laughs> would the correct solution to washing your hands when you're in a There's place... A puddle. In my in my game, it was a puzzle. There is no puzzle. It, it is it is it is an it is a window that you have to open, and yeah. there's snow, and you and wash your hands. Water, with snow. There was a puddle on the windowsill. Well, that's a bit better for you, but that's not what it was like <laughs> for me. And I I figured out all the other bits of the puzzle except that I looked it up. I was like, "Fuck this game." Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I don't think honestly, it kind of lost a bit by having the puzzles be less ridiculous than other point and clicks that i've played i felt like there was this fun factor that was lost i've heard that uh i know you've played this game grim fandango grim fandango is like heavily relies on ridiculous stupid puzzles that game's uh, kind of fun in a silly way it definitely uh have a walkthrough up the whole time kind of game but like it's entertaining for sure. When I started the game, I was trying to resist using a walkthrough, but Me as too. it progressed, I used it more and more and more because I was like, I just do not want to spend hours wandering around when I've just missed some little thing. It's just too, too much for me it's just to too deal tedious, with. Too tedious, right? Yeah. And the thing is, what I'm saying with all this is that I think that Gabriel Knight, if you have the time and patience. It is the kind of game where you can probably get through most of it without a walkthrough. Like it, if you if you really think and you really are happy to explore and figure out every single element and use your brain, there aren't many parts of this game which I think is quite cool that are like irrelevant information. Like you really need to pay attention to all the bits and pieces because they're usually relevant. If a police officer says he's hungry, that is important information. You need to 
figure out how that works into the puzzle. And as long as you're willing to do that, I think you can get through these things with enough time. It's just that that period of figuring it out is just way too frustrating to me to, and I just do not find it enjoyable at all. Yeah, so uh, for me, it's a pretty standard point-and-click adventure fair. Um, maybe I lose loses a bit of points because of the lack of wildness in some of the puzzles. Um, for me, I think a lot of the gameplay was hampered a bit by the amount of time it took to do everything. I think that was probably my number one criticism with the game, actually thinking about it, was that whenever you clicked to go to the world map, it took like six seconds and then walking anywhere even if you double click it could take a while depending on if the game wanted to play ball or not uh which made things just take a bit of a while but you know other than that it was pretty standard stuff for me i didn't it was okay and you know i was mostly clicking on things to go and see more voodoo stuff and talk to people about it um yeah and for me although i think that there is some decent logic behind a lot of these puzzles i don't think this solves the broader fundamental issue i have with the genre so i didn't enjoy the gameplay at all and i think that if you're playing this today you're mad to play it without a walk yeah i kind of agree with that um all right let's have one last music break i think we probably don't need to have one um but i want to you know show off the other soundtrack because i actually think it's quite good i thought the soundtrack um for this game was pretty good and i think and I think playing the new version was what made made me feel this way. So I'm going to give you the opening credits uh, theme, which I thought was probably the best one. So this is the opening credits. Um, I'm kind of about the point where I'm wanting to wrap up I think I don't have too many notes on this one I liked the atmosphere and didn't really like the characters and the gameplay was you know I like the genre so I was fine with it but not super impressed I think I did have one final thing James uh did you ever die when you played this game you can die yeah, I don't mean in real life either. I mean, I uh, I got killed. What what happened to you when the snake dropped on you in the museum? Uh, I clicked on the button next to me and it went away. Okay, did because I basically I didn't even see that fan button, and maybe this is because of the way the graphics are, or maybe I'm just stupid. But I was like <laughs> going through my inventory looking for something to claw it off. And then after not doing anything for a while, because I figured, you know, it would just keep, it would be just being me struggling with the snake. The game goes, you died. 
reload a save. What? <laughs> I lost about a day and a half of progress. <laughs> a day because, and a half. Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, the thing My is, game once, had you, save. What, once you knew what to do, I mean, obviously it doesn't take very long to get up to that part, but I was like, you so can annoying. die in this game. That's nuts. <laughs> uh, once I was aware that this was a possibility, I started saving more frequently. But the other area, like, I was like, I know I'm going to die, but I just want to see what happens. Um, you know when you go to the uh, ritual in the swamp? Yes. You can, if you don't put the mask on, you can just click your, you can just walk straight into the ritual. And uh, you can, you walk in, Dr. John sees you and he's like, what are you doing here? And you're like, uh, I got lost looking for the bathroom. And then he just strangles you to death. And then it <laughs> says you have died. <laughs> that's and great. I was like, man, that's so funny. So yeah, I don't know if I agree with deaths being possible in a game like this, unless you it creates an autosave the moment before it's it happens. It's kind of funny though, I like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like if I you're going to do it. this, it should generate an autosave like immediately beforehand to, to, so that there's no sting. And as long as it does that, then it's almost like a funny alternate ending. But uh, outside of that, it's fucking ridiculous that I died to this snake because I didn't press this button that I couldn't even see to turn on the fan. I was so confused, man. So yeah, uh, if you are going to play this game, save frequently. I, I don't think there are many points in which you can die, but if you don't know it's coming, it can kill a lot of your progress. Be a bit annoying. Yeah, fair. Jeez. All right, let's let's go to final impressions. Um. How did you feel about Gabriel Knight's Sins of the Daddy, Patrick? Sins of the Daddy. Uh, ultimately, I cannot recommend this game. Um, I think that it has some great things going from it. I think that the way the story unravels, and it's in large part due to its structure, is really intriguing. Like, I went and looked up Voodoo on Wikipedia after completing this game. Like, I'm really, I'm really interested by it. I love how they tie it in with the historical reality of voodoo, which makes it feel more grounded and real because of it. And I think that the, the way uh, people's reluctance to talk about it means that you're just like Gabriel. You are eager to know and learn about it, which is a pretty big accomplishment for a video game. Unfortunately, this is a point-and-click adventure game. And I think that that kind of kills it for me almost straight out the gates. I think that, that while some of the puzzles are logical, it doesn't get over the fundamental problem of the genre. And I think that the only way to really play this is with a walkthrough readily available. But it's not like I find playing the game with a walkthrough satisfying. Like, I like puzzle games. So to me, that that whole thing and that process of having to look between the walkthrough of the game isn't even an enjoyable one. It's something I put up with in order to finish the video game. So although Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Daddy, does a lot of things <laughs> right, it does a lot of things intriguing, I, on balance, can't recommend it. I didn't overall enjoy my time with it because I had to suffer through the gameplay and I just don't enjoy this kind of game. So it hasn't overcome my fundamental disdain for the genre uh unfortunately interesting you're actually higher on the story than i am um i was actually going to give this one a very lukewarm pass um mm -hmm. i think that the voodoo stuff as you said is the best part of the game and i think it's good enough that it makes the game you know potentially worth playing I, in general, enjoy point-and-click gameplay a bit more than you do at a baseline. While I don't think this one was great, 
um, I didn't find it like unbearably painful like you seem to. So I think there are okay bits about this game. Um, the voodoo stuff's cool. Everything that happens near the end, other than the kind of ass pulley like destiny stuff that happens was fine. I think there's two good characters that end up making it a bit more enjoyable. Um, and, you know, the atmosphere is okay. So I'm not like super high on this one, but I don't think I could outright say don't play it. It's just kind of a, you know, it's it's okay kind of game. So very, very on the fence about this one. I think it is fine ultimately so play it if you read the plot and think it sounds amazing otherwise maybe you know don't bother um but it I, does it does sound like you had a better time with the gameplay maybe because of the version you were playing as well yeah i agree it does sound like it was a bit better in that regards like i definitely think you lose a bit on the atmosphere and it's weird because i think if you want, if you're the kind of person who's like, I really want to play this game, I'm sure it's because the atmosphere appeals to you, of which case the original, the original is, is going to be better. Um, so, yeah, probably play that version if the game appeals to you. Otherwise, you know, maybe just give it a pass. Yeah, it's tough because uh, it's an interesting game. Um, and I think... I think on balance, James, I probably preferred Siberia to this game, though. Oh, I massively um, preferred Siberia yeah, to this. I, I think I think Siberia. Yeah, I love Siberia, whereas this well, Siberia game, had like... far simpler puzzles, which in the end meant there was less of that point-and-click nonsense. So you were able to better appreciate the story and atmosphere. Had, yeah, I think I was really, you know, ra enraptured by the world of that game and the atmosphere. Yeah. Whereas it's very unique. You know, I liked the characters and I really liked the ongoing plot about that. You know, the guy who liked the mammoths. Mm -hmm. um, whereas here, and the impact he'd had on the world. Yeah. Yeah, which was I think kind of a similar thing here where the culture stuff is the most interesting bit of the story. Um, but that game I think had a lot more visually and narratively going for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Siberia did. knocks out the knocks the remaster out of the park for sure. So it's failed this time for me, but maybe there is a point and click adventure game out there, James. Maybe just Which, maybe, uh, <laughs> but I'm skeptical. It's funny because the reason this came up, um, Gabriel Knight in Discord, was that um, Amir said, I can't believe you guys played Siberia first. What are you thinking? But Gabriel Knight obviously probably more influential in the time at which it was released. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to us talk about Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Father. James and I, the Retrospectors podcast, each and every fortnight, sorry, not each and every fortnight, each and every three weeks, we do classic reviews of classic and niche games. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got all 105 of our episodes. We're really cranked out a lot now a bunch of articles that James and I have written, as well as links to all of our social media stuff. 
the most important of which is our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we interact with the community. It's where we get recommendations. If you want to join the community, if you have a recommendation or you just want to give feedback on anything we've said here or on any other episode, we'd love to hear it. So please do drop by. Um, and also, if you would like to support the show further, we have a buy me a coffee page, with which lets you either do a subscription thing or you can just give us a one-off payment if there's a particular episode you like. Um, so that about does it, James. Uh, with you picking Gabriel Knight, it's now my turn to pick a game, and we're going to see a return to a genre we have not graced in a very long time. The 3D boomer platformers. 3D platformers. <laughs> <laughs> I will pick a 3D platformer when hell freezes over, although I did pick Ape Escape back in the day. So yeah, you did. It, it may happen. But no, we are returning to boomer shooters. We haven't played one of these in ages. I think Doom 2 was the last one we did. And it took me a while to figure out what would be the best one to choose. To start with, I wanted to do one of the um, build engine games, uh, but I did Duke 3D with another podcast. I did that one with the uh, Retro Hangover podcast, which is a great episode. You should go check it out. Um, I kind of wanted to do Blood, but I've already played Blood uh, recently and I really enjoyed it, but I was like, uh, should I do it again? So the other option was Shadow Warrior, but I went a different path. The one I chose is Unreal. Um, Unreal is a game I've never played before. I know little about it, except that it went on to influence Unreal Tournament um, and all the weapons and stuff from that. And I know that it's got beautiful sparse environments and AI that was trained on deathmatch bots. So it seems to be different enough from any of the FPS games we've done. And it's like a gap in my shooter history. So it's one I've always been keen to go back and uh, explore. Man, I realized just now that I've never actually seen the visuals on this game. This game is ugly. Oh man, <laughs> when, when the game came out, I know for a fact that it blew people's minds. Like people could not understand how they could make a game that looks this good. <laughs> it's Jesus. it's so funny to hear you say it's ugly because yeah, the the but then again, you didn't really like how Quake looks, did you? Oh, I think Quake. I still maintain Quake is the ugliest game we've played for the show. Like number one. Like man, I, that's so weird. It, like name one game that looks worse that we've played. I I find that while Quake obviously is kind of very. So i do bland. think it has a consistent aesthetic and atmosphere yes, that, uh, that i appreciate <laughs> yeah i think there's more to that it, it's the soundtrack and everything gothic what can i say you know i love dark souls james gothic castles appeal to me and quake is a lot of abstract gothic castles maybe maybe Fatalis looked worse but <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um this was, I guess, them moving on from Quake, attempting to create a, um, I guess, a more elaborate, diverse kind of atmosphere using similar assets. But then, you know, Half-Life 1 came out the same year and everyone forgot about any FPS that had ever existed before that point. I'm surprised we didn't do, haven't done Half-Life 1, but you've probably played it too much. My problem with Half-Life 1 is that I've played that game like six times over and I know the layout of like the maps and how they connect to one another <laughs> from memory. So I'm not sure I'd be able to give it a fair review, but I wouldn't mind doing it one day. Maybe one day, yeah. Yeah. So thank you once again, everyone, for listening to us and we'll see you in three weeks for Unreal. See you then.